All right, well, uh, you can turn to Romans 15. That's where we'll be this morning. Romans 15. Just so you know, Anthea goes to the Anderson campus. We wanted you guys to have a chance to meet her, though. Incredible story that she has. Uh, while you're turning to Romans 15, a uh, couple announcements for you. Summer Bible studies here at Grace Bible Church are starting this Wednesday. This Wednesday for everyone, they'll be meeting over at the Anderson campus. We have a little more room over there. We have a, a few different options on Wednesday mornings at 9.15, starting this Wednesday for the whole month of June. We'll have a women's Bible study. 9.15 a.m., uh, Real Women, Real Faith, life-changing stories from the Bible. You can register online for that. At the same time, we'll have a, a Bible study for international women. You will be learning English by going through the book of Ruth. It also meets at 9.15. Um, and then the second option, this one is for everyone, men and women alike. Uh, throughout the month of June, we're going to be doing a series, let me go back to that, called Coming Attractions of the End Times on Wednesday evening, starting this Wednesday. It will be at 7 p.m. over at the Anderson campus, a number of different pastors will be taking us through the events of eschatology, the events that are coming in the history of the world. So we'd love to have you for either of those options. Again, you can register on our website and childcare is available. All right. Well, this morning in our passage, as we look at Romans 15, we're going to be looking at a passage that is all about world missions. That's where we're going this morning, a passage that is all about world missions. Really excited to teach this passage to you this morning because it's really relevant to what's going on in Grace Bible Church right now. I don't know if you're aware of this, but right this moment, we have three college summer mission projects on the field. We have dozens of students uh, over in Greece sharing the gospel and in East Asia and in an undisclosed Muslim country somewhere in that bubble sharing the gospel right now. They've been there for a couple weeks. They'll be there for another month building relationships with students throughout those countries and sharing the faith. Uh, in a couple weeks, we have a team leaving for Belimbu, Swaziland to work among orphans in that country. Shortly after that, we've got three teams going out in July, one to the Dominican Republic. They will be doing uh, these, these camps for youth where they'll share the gospel. Another one that will go to Slovakia and host English language camps where they share the gospel. And finally, a group going to India. They'll be doing a number of things there, including caring for orphans. Now, as I put this map together yesterday, I got to admit, I got really excited. It did not occur to me until I started dropping these things on this map, how much was going on this summer through Grace Bible Church. This summer, we're sending out dozens and dozens of men, women, students, and youth all over the world to raise up Antheas. That's basically what all these projects are about, is to reach men, women, and children like Anthea, who've never heard the gospel, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. We're really excited to see what happens. I personally have begun to pray for God to save 100 Antheas this summer through these, through these seven projects. I, I welcome you if you want to join me in that prayer. 100 stories like Anthea through these seven projects. So really exciting what is going to happen in the lives of the men and women who are on these trips right now, who are going. Really exciting summer for those who go. But what about for those of us who stay? Most of us can't go this summer, can we? Most of us have to stay here in College Station. You got a job, and most jobs aren't going to give you four weeks off to go overseas, are they? Um, or your health or finances don't allow you to go on a summer project. You, you got to pay the bills somehow. Um, or like Julie and I, you've got young kids to care for. You may love missions, but you, you can't take the kids yet. I was imagining yesterday um, this Balimbu trip as they're going to be trekking through Africa to care for orphans. I was thinking about what it would be like to take Luke and Gracie 
on that trip, Luke and Grace are two and a half and they are growing fast. But the thought of trekking through Africa with my toddlers for me is a personal nightmare. My boy won't sit still for five minutes. What if I took him on a 12-hour plane ride? I think we would be killing each other by the end of that plane trip. Julie and I love missions. We bleed for missions. We both went on summer projects after we graduated from college, but we can't go right now. Not at this stage in our life. We have to stay here, but that's okay because we have a role to play. We can be just as involved in these summer projects even if we stay here. And that's what our passage is about this morning. It's about the fact that all believers, including those who go and those who stay, all of us can have a vital and significant role in the eternity-altering task of world missions. We all have a role to play in this effort to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to lay that out for us this morning. Actually, it's really interesting what Paul's going to do in our passage. He's going to give us two job descriptions. That's how I like to think of this passage. Two job descriptions for missions. One job description for us when we go. For those times in our lives when we're the ones going overseas, going to other places to share the faith. That will be the first job description Paul will give us. And then he'll give a second job description for those times in life when we're the ones who stay. Like most of us this summer, staying in College Station, how can we be involved in missions? That will be the second job description. So that's where we're going this morning. Two job descriptions, one for those who go, one for those who stay, how we can be involved in this significant task of world missions. Now, Let's set the context a little bit. Look at chapter 15. Let me uh, set this up for you. The body of the book of Romans ended last week in verse 13 of chapter 15. That was the end of the body of the book of Romans. That was the end of Paul's lengthy exposition of theology and application. He wrapped that up in verse 13 last week. From verse 14 in chapter 15 on to the end of the chapter, Paul wraps things up on a personal note. Our passage this morning and next week, it's personal. Paul is not preaching in these passages. He's talking to friends. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at how Paul talks to his friends. And he begins this conversation with his friends in Rome on a word or a note of encouragement. Look at verse 14. He says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to also admonish one another. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul wrote a lot of essential theology and convicting application. The book's full of it, tons of essential theology and convicting application. But he doesn't want his friends in Rome to get the wrong idea. He did not write the book of Romans to them because he thinks that they are immature and need his help. That's not what Romans is about. Paul did not think of the Romans as immature, unhealthy people. In fact, as you look through the book of Romans, we are not aware of any particular deficiencies or problems in the church in Rome. They were kind of awesome, it would appear. Paul views them as mature. He wants them to know that. He wants them to think of the book of Romans not as medicine for an unhealthy church, but as a graduate-level textbook on Christian maturity. That's really what it is. It's, it's designed to take you to the next step. It's for believers who've been walking with the Lord to take them to the next step. Romans is really a handbook on spiritual maturity. A handbook on spiritual maturity. And Paul was the perfect man to write that kind of handbook. 
Paul was the perfect guy to write a handbook on spiritual maturity to the church in Rome. And he tells us why in the next couple verses. Look, starting in verse 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In these two verses, uh, Paul is describing his unique God-given position. His unique God-given role in the history of the church. Paul there, at the end of verse 15, he mentions the grace that was given me from God. That's not the grace of salvation. Paul's talking about something more. He's talking about the gift of apostleship. God chose Paul to be an apostle, and, and not just any apostle, but the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, just to refresh your, your memory, apostle. That term applies to only a a very small group of men in the history of the church. And they're all dead now. They lived a long time ago. Just a few choice men that Jesus himself chose after his resurrection to lay the foundation of the church through their writing and teaching. Paul is one of that small group of men. And out of that small group of men, God chose Paul in particular to lead the effort to the Gentiles. He chose Peter to lead it to the Jews, Paul to lead it to the Gentiles. And that's what this, this, these verses are particularly about. It's Paul's special calling in life, this unique role he fulfills as God's apostle to the Gentiles. But in the course of talking about his unique role, Paul actually gives us some principles that apply to all of us. In particular, he gives us three principles that guide us when we go. When we are the ones who go on mission, when we go, whether it's somewhere in the United States or internationally to share the faith, Paul gives us in the first part of of this passage in Romans 15, three principles to guide us. You can think of them like three bullets on a job description to guide you when you're the one who goes. Now, all three of these things apply to us at all phases of life. They apply to me right now. They apply to you right now. But they are especially important when we get to be the ones who go. So I want to share those with you, these three principles that Paul lays out for us when we're the ones who go. Principle number one, first bullet in the job description of those who go, keep the gospel first. Look again at verse 16. Let's read it again. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. I I want you to notice uh, Paul uses a number of words that are borrowed from the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's just lifting words out of the Pentateuch back in the Old Testament. Uh, That phrase, ministering as a priest, it's actually one word in Greek. Uh, The word offering, that's talking about a sacrificial offering. That word acceptable, that's how God looked at an acceptable or, or praiseworthy offering. He's lifting these words out of the Old Testament sacrificial system because in his role as a missionary, Paul sees himself ultimately as a priest. When we go, when we go out to share the gospel, ultimately we are serving the role of a priest. Now think back to the Old Testament. What did a priest do in the Old Testament? A priest was an intermediary between God and people. 
The priest served both God and man by offering sacrifices, animal sacrifices, that would please God and satisfy sin so that God would bless and show favor to the people. So the priest existed to be this intermediary between God, offering these sacrifices, and in that role, his most important tool was his knife. His knife with which he prepared the sacrificial animals, the sacrificial offering. Well, Paul says the same is true of me. That's my role. I am a priest, but but a priest in a little bit of a different sense. I don't offer dead animals. I offer living Gentiles, living converts. I draw men and women to God as an offering to him. And in that role as a priest, my most important tool is not a knife. It is the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that we as New Testament priests use to draw men and women to God as an offering to him. The gospel, that good news that Anthea talked about, the good news that Jesus, the son of God, died for our sins in our place, rose from the dead and offers eternal life as a free gift to everyone who will believe. That is the one and only thing that can make a person acceptable in the sight of God. I actually, I really love that word that Paul uses in verse 16, acceptable. It makes me think of, of God looking down and the moment a person believes the gospel, God accepts them into his family. It's like a, a relational word. God says, in my sight, you are good. It's like justification. That moment that you believe, God says, you are right with me. For all of eternity, I accept you. That comes through the gospel, only the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can make somebody acceptable in the sight of God. And so Paul says, this is the heart of my ministry. I minister as a priest, the gospel. It's kind of weird language. How do you minister the gospel? Well, the gospel is his tool of ministry. It's the center of everything he does. The most important thing to Paul is the gospel because it is the one and only thing by which he can offer men and women to God as an offering by which he can bring men and women into relationship with God. And so for us, when we go, and in truth, when we stay at all times in life, we must keep the gospel first. The gospel must be our priority. The gospel must stay in the center of our mission. When we go, it must be about the gospel that we busy ourselves. Now, the reason that that's important to clarify is because in this day and age, there are so many good things you can do on this planet. There are so many good things you can do. You can fight slavery. You can fight poverty. You can heal disease. You can alleviate uh, those who who are suffering and sick. and, And you can do all kinds of good things in this world. But we must not let the good things distract us from the one essential thing. The gospel. That is the one and only essential thing. Let me give you an example. A lot of folks going over to Africa and digging wells for villages that don't have clean water. That's a really good thing. That's something we should be involved in. Go give water to people. But if all you do is go over to Africa, dig a well for a village, and then leave, you haven't done missions. You haven't done missions because the one essential task of missions is to share the gospel. You haven't actually given that village what they most need. You gave them fresh water, but you did not give them the gospel, the one and only thing that can set them free from sin and death. They don't have hope yet. So go dig the well, but use the well as an opportunity to share the gospel. While you're there digging that well, build friendships with the people of that village. And in the context of those friendships, share the hope that you have, the living water that you have within you 
because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ. That's the one and only thing that can really benefit that village. It's all about the gospel. Ultimately, that's all that matters. Students, right now, one of the big things that's being promoted in a number of different places is an effort to end human slavery. Now, that is, is really good. There's something that Christians should be about. It's ending human slavery. That, that's great to be involved in that. That's very, very good, but... If all that your organization does is end human slavery, you haven't gone far enough. You've ended human slavery, but you've left people in spiritual slavery. And sin and death are far worse masters than any human being. You haven't gone far enough yet. So students, as you are choosing organizations or charities or missions to give your life to, to be involved in, make sure you choose ones that keep the gospel first. End slavery, but end it in every way. Not just physical human slavery, but spiritual slavery. Focus on the gospel. That has to stay first. That's the center of our job description. When we go, keep the gospel first. Second principle that Paul lays out, second bullet in our job description, rely upon God. Look at verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, there's a very interesting, very short word in verse 18. It says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Through, it's a, the Greek preposition dia. In this case, in this verse, it denotes instrumentality. Paul is saying, in everything that God is doing through me in the world, I am his instrument. I'm his instrument. All of the good stuff that Paul lists in verse 19, um, in verse, into verse 18 and verse 19, Gentiles are coming to the faith. There are miracles happening. The whole world, the whole Roman Empire is hearing about Christ. But Paul can't take credit for any of that because Paul's not the actor. Paul's not the one doing the work. Jesus is the one doing the work. Paul is just his tool. That's really what dia means. Paul's just a tool in Jesus' hands. Or to use a better summer metaphor, if life were a baseball game, Jesus is the home run hitter and Paul is just a bat. That's ultimately all that any of us are. We're just bats in the hands of the Lord. At our best, we are just bats in the hands of the Lord. No, no better than any other bat. I'm not a better bat than you are. We are just bats. And if it's just us trying to do something significant, we will fail because what is a bat without a hitter is just a stick of wood lying on the ground. You're nothing without the hitter. And so Paul says, if you want to accomplish something significant in this life, if you want to do something that really matters, you have to put yourself in the hands of Jesus. You have to be the bat. Surrender your life to him so that he can hit home runs with you. That's how missions works. That's how ministry works. Jesus hits home runs with you. You don't do it. You just give your life to him and let him accomplish the impossible, the miraculous. Now, practically speaking, what does that look like? Really simple what Paul is talking about here really boils down to surrender and trust. Each and every day waking up, I encourage you to do this. When you wake up in the morning, I encourage you early in the morning, first thing, surrender your day to Jesus. And you can do that on your knees or you can do that while you're lying in bed or drinking your coffee, however you want to do it. Just acknowledge to the Lord, Jesus, today I give it all to you. 
This day is yours, my time, my job, my body, my possessions, my money, my family, my kids, everything I have today, I give it to you. Surrender your day to Jesus so that he can use you and everything about you to hit home runs today, to do significant things today. So surrender your day to Jesus and then throughout the day, trust him. Throughout the day, believe that he can do something incredible through you. Even if you feel inadequate and small, no big deal. You're just the bat. You don't have to be great. He's the great one. So believe that he can do great things through you. Each and every day, surrender your day to Jesus and trust him throughout the day to do great things through you, and he will. He's been doing it for 40 years here at Grace Bible Church, doing miraculous, world-changing things through this church, not because of us, not because we're great, but because our Lord is great. So surrender your life to him and trust him each and every day. That's the second principle or item on our job description. Third item, when we go, fulfill your unique mission. Look with me starting in verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul had a unique role. Paul was designed by God and chosen by God and commissioned by God to be a trailblazer. That, that was Paul's role in the whole church planning thing. He went into virgin territory where people had never heard the gospel and he planted churches. That was Paul's role. Paul was not a builder. Paul was not commissioned by God to go into cities where there was already a church and strengthen and build up that church. That was left to other people. I think the apostle John did a lot of building. Apollos did a lot of building, but not Paul. Both of those roles are important. You call it the planting role and the watering role. Both are essential but Paul just had one, and Paul focused on that. He didn't worry about the other role. He left that to other people who were better gifted than him for that, and that's a principle for all of us. In life, figure out what your mission is, what your unique role is, fulfill it, and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. That's ultimately what this comes down to. Fulfill your unique mission in life. Don't worry about other people's callings, other people's missions. That's extremely important thing to remember for the missionaries that we have on the field. Really important lesson for them. We have a number of missionaries in East Asia right now who are seeing so many people come to Christ on such a regular basis. Uh, All they can do, they can barely keep up with the number of people coming to the faith. They have to focus all of their time on new believer follow-up just to try to ground these new believers in the faith. Contrast that. We have missionaries in Greece We're not doing a lot of new believer follow-up because they're not seeing a lot of new believers. Hardly any. It's incredibly hard ground. So their role is primarily just to build friendships with Greek people so that they can begin to share the gospel, hopefully in the next few years. Now, what Satan wants to do to our missionaries is he wants to make the missionaries in East Asia and the missionaries in Greece compare notes. That's what Satan wants. He wants them to compare notes, compare stories. Because if they compare stories, then they will see disparity in results disparity in apparent fruit. And, and that will be good for Satan because for those in East Asia, if they compare notes, then they will get what? Pride. Pride because of all that's going on through them. And that'll be good for Satan because our missionaries in Greece, what will they get? Despair. 
sadness, depression, because of how little apparent visible fruit is going on in their ministry. That's what comparisons always do. If you didn't know that, whenever you compare yourself to anyone else, you always get one of two options, only two options, pride or despair. And so Satan wants us to do that, compare myself with you. How is my life look compared to yours? If I look at your life, if I wrap myself in your life, then I'm going to either feel pride or despair, and that's going to defeat me. It is going to shortchange and short-circuit my mission and my ministry, and God doesn't want that. God doesn't want us comparing ourselves to one another, our ministries to one another, our circumstances, our finances, our kids. Parents don't do that. God doesn't want us comparing ourselves to one another because God could care less how you stack up to someone else. God doesn't care about that. It's not how God looks at the world. He doesn't compare you to other people. All God cares about is your faithfulness, your faithfulness to your life, your faithfulness to your mission that God has entrusted to you. Find your calling, your mission, and then focus on that. Fulfill that, and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Fulfill your mission. You have a unique, God-given calling in life. Find it, focus on it, fulfill it, and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. That's the third principle for when we go. Again, all three of these principles apply to us at all times of life. They are always true, but they're especially important when we are the ones who go. When we're the ones who get to go share our faith in other places, we need to keep the gospel first. We need to rely on God's strength, and we need to fulfill our unique mission. Now, what about when we stay? What about those of us who are staying in Bryan College Station this summer? We don't get to go. We, we have jobs to do, kids to raise, whatever it might be. We're staying. What does God want from us? How can we be involved in the task of world missions, in this eternity-altering, significant task? Paul gives us that in the rest of the passage. He gives us two principles or, or two bullet points, if you will, for the job description of, of us when we stay. When we're the ones who stay, point number one, principle number one, we're to support missions with money. Look with me, starting in verse 22. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while... But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they were also indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." Now, in this part of the passage, Paul lays out his travel plans. He's planning on going to Spain, blazing a trail for the gospel in Spain. He's going to stop over in Rome before he does it, but first he's got to go to Jerusalem to handle this collection that he's put together. So he shares his his travel plans, but in the course of sharing his travel plans, he helps us get a sense of how important money is. Money is incredibly important to God. Money is important to God because money can fuel missions. Money can empower missions. Money is a necessary element in the task of world missions. It's not that God needs our money. It's that God chose to work through our money. 
God has designed money to be an essential tool in the task of world missions. And that's why Paul unapologetically expects the Romans to contribute financially to his mission. And he lays out a couple, a couple opportunities, a couple ways that we can contribute to missions with our money. The first is we can give to missionaries. That's, that's what Paul discusses or talks about, what he prepares them for in verse 24. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. To be helped on my way there by you. It's actually a technical term for financial missionary support. If Paul's going to go to Spain, it's going to take money. He's going to need money for food, for lodging, for clothing, for all of the incidentals that are needed to launch this new missionary effort in Spain. He's going to need money, and he expects the Roman believers to contribute, to contribute financially to that task. That's the same thing he would expect of us, that we who stay, that we would give financially to those who go. Now, if you don't have much to give, if your finances are really tight right now, that doesn't matter. That's okay. Because in God's eyes, it's not about the amount you give, it's that you give generously. That whatever you can give, whether it's a few dollars a month or a few thousand dollars a month, that you give sacrificially and generously. That's what God cares about. He's not limited by the amount you give. He cares about the attitude behind your gift. That whatever you can give, you're giving generously and sacrificially. God expects those of us who stay to give to those who go. Now, I want to give you some practical ways that you can do that right now. And so I'm going to walk you through some ways that you can give to missionaries this morning. If you have a checkbook, you're welcome to pull out a checkbook and write a check to one of these opportunities. If you want to do it later, you can go home, go to our website, grace-bible.org, and you can give to these opportunities this afternoon, or you can write a check and bring it up to the church office. Many of you are already doing this, but if you're not, I really encourage you today or tomorrow to find a way to give directly to those who are involved in missions. Support the missionary effort financially. A few ways that you can do that even right now. If you give simply to Grace Bible Church, you just write a check, Grace Bible Church, put it in one of the boxes at the back of the sanctuary or go to our website and give online. Uh, More than 20% of your gift will go directly to missions. Directly to missions. That's always how it's been at Grace Bible Church. We give a, a large percentage directly to missions. So that's the easiest way. If you want to directly support missionaries, just give to Grace Bible Church and you will do that. And if you want to support a particular project, then write your check to Grace Bible Church, but then in the memo line, you can write college missions. If you want to support one of those first three trips that are on the field right now, they still have some financial needs that we're trying to make up. You could put DR trip. We've heard the Dominican Republic trip is a little low on funds, so you could write DR trip and the memo line of a check made out to Grace Bible Church and it will help get that team onto the field. If you want to support our missionaries in general, there's a neat opportunity. We, a number of years ago, bought and, and remodeled a house over by the Anderson campus, the missions house or missionary house, that we give to missionaries when they're on furlough. So they, they come into town and we just let them have this house rent-free. Awesome thing for them. They really benefit from it. We're still paying off the note on that. So if you want to help us pay off that missions house so we can think about future mission houses, uh, just write a check, Grace Bible Church, and put missions house in the memo line. Or finally, if God is really moving in your heart to support a particular missionary or maybe a particular nation or particular people group, I encourage you to just email me or call me this week. If you will contact me and say, hey, Blake, I I really feel God leading me. I want to give financially to someone reaching out to the Muslim world or or to uh, people 
who are in India or orphans or whatever it might be, uh, just contact me and I will direct you to an opportunity to give to those specific needs. Okay, so you can give to missionaries directly. That's the first opportunity Paul lays out for how we can financially support the task of missions. The second he lays out for us is that we can give to charities that empower missions. And you might notice Paul mentioned a particular charity. This charitable fund that he was gathering from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia for the poor believers in Jerusalem. And the the background here is that the the poorest believers in Macedonia and Achaia, think modern day Greece, were still richer than the poor believers in Jerusalem. The the poorest in the church in Jerusalem were, were really dirt poor. They were really in desperate need. And so Paul began a charitable fund for them. And he collected money from those Gentiles who had resources to give to those Jews who did not. And that fund, uh, it was designed to alleviate that poverty. But the most important purposes behind this charitable contribution that Paul put together, first and foremost, it was to support the gospel, to open the eyes of the Jewish nation to the gospel. You see, Jews hated Gentiles. Jews thought of Gentiles as unholy and unclean. So imagine their surprise when they hear about all of these godless Gentiles who call themselves Christians, who are giving money sacrificially to these Jews they, would, they have never met. That's going to shock the Jewish nation. That's what Paul wants. He wants to shock them and help them see how big the love of Christ is so that they would be drawn to the gospel. We can do the same thing with our money. We can use our charitable giving. We can use our money to open hearts and minds to the gospel, to show people how big the love of Christ is. And there are lots of ways that you can use your charitable donations to support the work of the gospel. Uh, Way too many for me to list out this morning. I'm going to quickly give you four because I just want to give you some practical places to go. If you don't know where to go, four things that you can do, four charities that you can give to that I promise you will put the gospel first to our local, to our international. I'll walk you through this really, really fast. I'll give you the Google search terms. You can just go to Google, type this phrase in, and it will pop up with with this organization's website. If you Google search Youth Impact College Station, you will get our Youth Impact program. Here at Grace Bible Church, Youth Impact has been around for decades. It's a ministry designed to reach out to underprivileged youth in our community with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. It's doing incredible things. It definitely puts the gospel first, and they could use our support. All you have to do is type in Youth Impact College Station. You'll get this webpage, and you can click on Giving and Support Youth Impact. Second option here in this town, I love SOS Ministries uh, in Bryan. Just type SOS Ministries Bryan. It is uh, designed to uh, fight against poverty and violence in our community with the love of Christ, with the gospel. If you just type in SOS Ministries Bryan, you will get this webpage and you can give directly through that website. So a couple options locally, if you feel called to do internationally, uh, to give to organizations that are taking the gospel and meeting charitable needs internationally. Two of my favorites are first Balimbu. That's where our trip is going in two weeks. Balimbu is, uh, it's actually a place. It's a town, an old mining colony in Swaziland uh, that is designed to uh, care for orphans in Africa. And it puts the gospel first. If you type in Balimbu, it's the first hit on Google. You can sponsor a child uh, through that website. Another one that I personally love is Children's Relief International. We have a number of folks working with them, caring for both the physical and spiritual needs of the earth's poorest children. They're focused in Africa and in India. If you just type Children's Relief International in Google, you'll get their webpage. You can donate or sponsor a child directly that way. Use your money to further the gospel. 
whether it's one of these organizations or one of many others that exist in this town and around the world, use your charitable givings to advance the gospel. So we support missions for those of us who stay with our money. Second, we support missions with our prayer. Look with me starting in verse 30. Verse 30, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all Amen. Now, notice back in verse 30, uh, Paul used a very strong phrase there. I urge you, really, and let let me kind of paraphrase this. I urge you, brethren, by the authority that Jesus has given me and on the basis of the love of the Spirit, I urge you to strive together with me in prayer. It's actually the only command in the whole passage. Only command in the whole passage, it's about prayer. What that's telling us is Paul does not think of prayer lightly. For Paul, the greatest priority for those of us who stay is that we would support those who go in prayer. That prayer would be at the center of what we do for them. And it's a really fascinating word that Paul chooses, strive together. It means to stand side by side with someone in a fight. It's really talking about jumping in in, in a foxhole with a fellow soldier and fighting a battle with him. What Paul is saying is that when you pray for me, it's like you're with me. It's like you're in my foxhole fighting against the kingdom of Satan. That's what prayer does. Even if we can't go to Greece or East Asia or a Muslim country this summer, it doesn't matter. If you join with those missionaries in prayer, if you pray for them, then in God's eyes, it's like you're standing side by side with them. You are there through prayer, striving with them in the work of the gospel. Now, striving, it it does bring up the thought of every day, a a battle of prayer, a work of prayer. This is not haphazard prayer. It is not occasional prayer. Paul is talking about continual daily prayer for our missionaries, praying for missionaries by name, praying for their specific needs. That's what Paul has in mind. And, And with that in mind, he actually, you may have noticed, he lays out two particular needs that he had. There in verse 31, he talks about his his need, pray for his physical safety that God would deliver him from his enemies in Judea. Second, he prays for effectiveness in ministry. May God take this charitable gift and use it to bind the church together and advance the gospel. That's a good place for us to start. Let me give you a more comprehensive list. If you look through the New Testament, these are some of the things that we should be praying for our missionaries. We should be praying for their physical safety. That's important. We should be praying for their spiritual protection, that God would protect them from Satan and his kingdom. We should be praying for their team unity, that God would protect them and bind them together. Pray for them to have open doors for the gospel and and great effectiveness and wisdom in ministry. And that's really what I want to leave you with this morning. I want to challenge you to pray. Let me put back up this list of projects on the field this summer for Grace Bible Church. I want to encourage you each to pray. We don't have much time. I was going to have us pray this morning, but I've used up all our time talking, so sorry about that. Uh, Instead, you're going to pray later today. I want to encourage you to pray. Now, there's too much on the board right now, so uh, just take a moment, look at the list of projects there on the right. Look at that list and just choose one. Maybe choose the one that's closest to, uh, to your experiences or to your family or to the, the heart and passion that God has given you. Just choose one project right now, file that away in your brain, 
And then let me ask you later today, tonight, throughout this week, to pray the things on the left for that team. Will you do that? Pray those things for that team. You can do it individually, or you can gather with your spouse, with your kids, fun opportunity with your kids, sit down with a world map, show them where it is, and then pray these things for them. Let me encourage you to do that. If every one of us will choose one of those projects and be praying for them over the summer, then according to verse 30, we're there. We're there, right? We're striving together with them in the work of the gospel. It's not a hundred folks we've sent overseas, but it's a thousand because all of us are there with them if we'll pray regularly for them. So let me close us in prayer, but please keep that particular project in mind in your head. And today I, I ask you, I beg of you, please spend some time praying these things for that team. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be involved in what you are doing around the world. And we thank you most of all that you have made missions possible by giving us your son, that you have given hope and life, that you have provided salvation through sacrificing your own son on our behalf. Thank you that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. We pray for anyone here, Lord, who has not yet come to understand that truth, to to trust in Jesus' death alone for the payment of their sins. Please, Lord, open their eyes. Help them to see the truth of the gospel. And we pray, Father, that for our church, that that we would busy ourselves and dedicate ourselves to the task of taking that good news to the far corners of this planet. I pray that for every one of us, Lord, that we would be faithful to share that good news here locally, but that we would also be faithful to share it in other nations, whether we go or whether we stay here and, and share the gospel through the money we give and through the prayers that we offer to you. I pray, Father, help us to be faithful to this task that you care so deeply about, to share the love of Christ with all the nations on this planet. Father, please do amazing things this summer. We do pray, Father, explicitly for a hundred stories like Anthea's through the summer project that are going out from Grace Bible Church. We pray that 100 men, women, students, and children would come to know Jesus Christ. We pray that if 100 is too small for you, that it would be many more than that, Father. Thank you that you can do that, that you can do miraculous things through us. We pray that you would do so. All for your glory and the fame and renown of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.